people get really tired of being at war, and they really want to uh, find a way to come back together. You know, there's a scripture that says we've had our fill of contempt. Exactly. And I think yes, we've all had perfect. our fill of contempt. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietry. Sal, how are you tonight? Ed, doing well, and glad to kick off the second part of our year-long series on getting getting each other back in the room and talking uh, as families, as friends, as community members in such politically charged times that are just so obviously tearing the country apart. And I'm excited about tonight's guest. Tell us a little bit about who we got. So I was recently reading an article about the Trump stock gathering in Phoenix, Arizona, back in October. And one of the attendees was quoted as saying that if Trump is not elected in 2020, nothing less than a civil war would happen. He said, I don't believe in violence, but I'll do what I've got to do. And I also heard a caller into a radio program suggesting that we shun conservatives. He said he no longer talks to his brother because of his viewpoints and spoke about dividing up the country. And on and on it goes in the media as we approach the 2020 election. If you've grown tired of the political division and contempt that's so commonplace, we've got a tonic for you tonight. We're joined by April Lawson, the director of debates at Better Angels, an organization committed to bridging the growing divide between Republicans and Democrats in our country. Following their first gathering of Trump and Clinton supporters back in December of 2016, Better Angels has launched numerous initiatives across the U.S. in an effort to tear down the walls that divide us. April joins us to share some insights and stories about work that they do that you definitely want to hear. April, welcome to Grace and 30. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Tell us about the first gathering of Trump-Clinton supporters uh, back in 2016. That must have been something to get people in a room together uh, right after the election and and try to get this thing off the ground. Absolutely. It was something is right. I mean, it's funny because the way that this all started is just that there's a we have two co-founders named David. They're both named David, which is confusing. But New York David called Ohio David and said, you know, what's it like down there the day after the election? Because I got to tell you, in New York, it's basically a morgue. Like people are acting like they're at a funeral. And the the my friend David Lapp, who lives in Ohio, said, well, I have to tell you, everyone I know is literally using the words hope and change. They think that Trump is going to bring hope and change. And they said, you know, we both know good people on both sides of this divide. And what would happen? Just what what would happen? if we brought together 10 Trump supporters and 10 Clinton supporters and just got them together and tried to see if they could talk to each other. And so they called uh, the third co-founder of Better Angels, Bill Doherty, who's a family therapist, and said, you know, we're thinking about doing this. You know, what would you advise? And Bill said, oh, my gosh, guys, I don't think you know what you're getting into. Um, let me let me see if I can help. And so uh, the the workshop was held in southeast Ohio, south pardon me, southwest Ohio, in a town called South Lebanon, and David Lapp basically brought ten of his friends from and and neighbors from each side of the divide, and they went through a very powerful three days together, well, one evening I guess, and two days, and it was amazing because you know at, at the first they were everybody was quite nervous, you know they would not really talk to the people on the other side. They would sort of, they would answer the questions, but in a very short, 
sort of terse way. But about two o'clock on Saturday, things started opening up. And when that happened, <laughs> sort of the floodgates were opened. There's a woman named Julie Spark, who I really admire down there, who's a she, she's actually an amazing person. She had uh, rose from being the secretary to the manager of a steel plant, or maybe it was concrete, and but then it was sold to an international firm that closed the plant. And so she talks about how she's seen a lot of forced retirements there. But what she also said, she, uh, she actually uh, at one point broke into tears there. And she said it was for the first time she'd cried in a couple of years. And the reason was just that she hates it when people label each other. She says, you know, we are all more complicated than what these words would describe. And, you know, it's just not, it's not okay to do that. And we also had a, uh, there's this delightful uh, man named Greg Smith, who talks about how at the before the workshop, he talked about how he he wanted to talk to people on the other side. But honestly, he was afraid to open his mouth. And we had a, a woman there uh, named Angela, an African-American woman, whose belief was that if you voted for Trump, you're racist. And by the end of it, they were sitting next to each other. And what Angela found was that Greg was funny. Mm. And, you know, he said a couple things during the workshop that bothered her. And he figured it out later and apologized in front of everybody. And, you know, by the end, and this happens when you get people together in person, people were not only being kind to each other, but but felt like, you know, we have to do this everywhere. And that if you took this down every highway and to every county, you could just change the world because people actually can see each other's hearts if you put them in the same room. This is like uh, an extraordinary beginning. Um, I'm real curious, where did things go from there uh, and what's happened over the past three years? Oh, my goodness. So much has happened. It's um, it's fun to remember back to that that first workshop because it's so uh, it feels like a long time ago, but it really isn't. The thing has grown like gangbusters, partly because we <laughs> this is the first organization I've been part of where we don't really have to recruit volunteers. They come to us. And that's because there's there are thousands of people all over the country who can feel this problem in their bones, right? Like people can can see, and I'm sure many of our listeners feel this way too. You can you can watch the country falling apart, and it happens, you know, not just on TV, but also in our families, among friendships, all kinds of things. And so, as soon as we started getting press, people started calling us and saying, "You have to come to my town. I'm in San Antonio. This is a big problem here. I'm in Utah. I'm in Massachusetts. And can you come here?" And so we started going all over the country trying to trying to meet this need and discovered that, of course, we c couldn't do it ourselves. And so ultimately what we've ended up doing is developing a series of formats, um, workshops, debates, things on how to depolarize your own heart and your side, not just talk to people on the other side, one-on-one -on -one interactions, a whole series of things. And we have a massive network of volunteers who can implement them. So it's almost like a franchise. Absolutely. One of the secrets of it is that it's <laughs> we trust uh, we actually trust grassroots leaders. It's it's we try very hard not to do much from from the top. Well, it sounds like the two biggest things that I'm hearing from you and we hear this over and over in the program mm -hmm. is proximity and listening. Absolutely. Get near people that are different than you mm -hmm. and shut up and listen <laughs> and get to know each other. And, and it doesn't take much for you to 
you know, grow to respect and love one another and, oh, and yeah. things to change radically. Yeah. L- let's use that to cut into some stories because mm. I, I was on the website and I was <laughs> reading some of these different accounts and I, I love the, the workshop pairing of Greg and, and the, uh, the Iranian. Yes. Yeah, Tell us about that. Absolutely. So they're one of our favorite stories. So Greg is this uh, just wonderful, wonderful man. Um, they're both in Ohio and Greg uh, is... Um, He's had a cha- kind of challenging life. You know, he's one of these folks who lives in rural America and life has not been particularly kind to him. And he loves Donald Trump. He <laughs> can't stand what liberals write on Facebook. Every so often he calls us and says, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore because liberals are so impossible. And and people on the other side say the exact same thing. And uh, But he met Kuyar. Kuyar is an Iranian immigrant uh, to the U.S. And after the 2016 election, Kuyar was... Honestly, he was kind of scared about what was going to happen to immigrants like him, people of color, and just he wasn't sure what had been unleashed. And so they were in a workshop together, and they ended up sort of sitting next to each other and therefore paired up at a certain time. And there's a part in the workshop near the end, once we've all gotten to know each other and really tried to unpack things, where you say... What are you committed? What's can you think of a step that you could take that you're you're committed to taking together? And theirs was one of the ones that we will never forget because uh, Greg sat there and and um, he said, you know what, uh, Kuyar is going to come to church with me. Kuyar is Muslim, and I'm going to go to a mosque. And that was a huge step for both of these men because. <laughs> You know, their religion, their religion is one of the biggest dividers in that part of, I mean, in lots of places. And it was an uncomfortable space for both of them. And so what happened then, and uh, there's a picture of this, um, is Kuyar came to church with Greg, and he found that interesting, you know, that it wasn't actually as different as he thought. And then Greg, um, there's this beautiful picture of Greg seated on a chair uh, in the mosque with you know, the the worshipers bowing and going through all of their prayers. Uh, and Greg just burst into tears because he could see that these people were were him, right? They were just like him. They worshiped, you could say, the same God. They, In any case, they it was a sincere faith and an absolutely heartfelt praise, uh, just like he had in his heart. Oh, that's great. And it, it's interesting you mentioned the fear of the Iranian Gentlemen, I I had a neighbor who was a who's an emergency room doctor, and mm. he's the most tender, gentle man. My mm. dad took a fall once, and when I came up upon the ambulance, he was stroking my dad's oh, head, and goodness. oh my wow. goodness! His wife bumping into me at the Vienna Whole Foods recently. She says we're thinking about going back to Iran. Oh wow! She says it, they just feel yeah. things are so divided and crazy, and them being of Iranian background right. heritage, they just especially think, lately. Yeah. So, so it's they're struggling. It's not a perfect journey. There are times that Greg feels a little bit like he's buckling, and he's oh, like, yeah. I don't, and and that's just common, right? But you just get back on your horse. There's sort of a you bet. And we talk about grace. People call it the unmerited favor of God, but I always stick unwavering in there. You, mm. you have to do it over and over because mm-hmm. in America you do something good, people don't react the way you like, and you quit, mm-hmm. and that's not grace. No. Grace is simply unwavering. Yeah. Tell us, you mentioned something about the um, the event at UC Berkeley. Oh, I want to hear yes. about that as well. That's another one of my favorites. So a, One of your favorite places? It's, it's well, a lot of controversy there. Not, <laughs> that event is one of my favorites. I um, So I run the debates program at Better Angels, and uh, we are, there are a lot of folks who feel like uh, on college campuses these days, it's a lot harder to speak your mind than it used to be, and that there's 
actually social shaming and shunning that happens when you do that. And so, uh, and, and people on both sides feel this. It's not just conservatives. Also, liberal students will tell us that. And we firmly believe that if you give people a space to hear each other, <laughs> it's just like the workshops. It actually works out really well. And so we, uh, we took a risk this fall and went to UC Berkeley, which, as you know, is both um, famous for its free speech movement in the 60s, but is also possibly the most uh, charged and high-profile campus in the country um, for uh, leftism. And so we always work with students, and there's a student group called Bridge USA that we love, who we worked with there. And they helped, they decided the topic, which was going to be on a place called People's Park, which is a actually used to be a, a famous landmark in the in the free speech movement, but is now essentially a small park inside Berkeley, and there's a, a student housing shortage. The university owns the parks, so they're planning to build on it. Naturally, this has caused immense tension, um, partly because a lot of members of the homeless uh, community live on that park, and not everybody, it, it's a sort of classic town gown situation. And so we decided to to go ahead and try this topic and we advertised it and um then we uh we got an email very politely worded email saying from a gentleman who or pardon me this person prefers they them pronouns so i will try to do that although i it's i'm not that good at it but um they emailed us saying oh how how do i get to speak and we wrote back oh we're so happy that you want to come whatever um and then learned that that person had also planned a protest for uh, somewhat, well, not really coincidentally, the two hours before the debate in the same location as the debate. And so we uh, were like, oh, okay. And we had also learned that this person uh, was sort of notorious on campus for disrupting events. He would um, shout Black Lives Matter slogans until he was asked to, to leave, and then he would resist arrest. And so we're like, oh, we might be facing a, a complicated situation here if this person's actual goal is to disrupt our event. But what we did, and I'm grateful to Bill, our, our family therapist, for his advice on this, uh, was we reached out and we said, look, we want this to be a place for your voices to be heard inside the room, not just outside the room. And we want to know what we can do to make this really a good experience for you. And he responded well. And and then we went to the the protest and we said, you know, we love your passion. Come, come debate with us. Come into the room. And uh, we still weren't sure, right? And so we, the debate started, and we did have a couple people, not um, not from that crowd, but who, you know, got up and shouted and left. One person shouted, "Greed is good!" and before he stormed out, uh, pardon me, <laughs> um, I think it was "Greed is sin," something, uh, before he uh, stormed out. And anyway, this fellow, or this person. Uh, not only did he show up to the debate, but he brought about 15 of his fellow protesters with them. And then I chose to call on that person, and they gave probably the single most brilliant speech of the evening, which was a just a beautiful outcome to that, because not only did they choose to participate and engage fully, if you, I looked over at their face every so often, and they were just beaming. I think it's possible that they had not been treated with that much respect before and, and told, we really do want you in this room. We really do care what you have to so, say. So, so simple. Yeah. A phone call, an invitation, right, yeah. Sam? You're always talking about that. So with all that said, let's talk about 2020 and moving forward. Absolutely. Um, you know, what are you planning on doing? I mean, how, how to, 
I've been studying a lot about behavioral sciences lately and an influence and how you have to do many different things to sort of have an impact. And you can have a significant one if you if you do multiple things to try to affect the behavior of people and their thinking. What are the things you're doing? How can a, a Grace in 30 or our listeners or anyone else dive in and help out? Mm, absolutely. Well, as you can imagine, there's a lot to do. This is uh, this is the the biggest test that we as a society will have for a little while, I think, in terms of can we survive this and actually remain in what we call civic friendship. And so Better Angels is, is pulling out all the stops. We are uh, going on the road again. We're going to, um, I think it'll end up being maybe 20, between 20 and 50 different locations over the course of the next several months to hold events and uh, show people not just what does it mean not to hate each other, but what does it actually mean to love your neighbor? What does it actually mean in this context on these subjects? So, for example, we will have debates about who should you vote for. And we will have um, a, a gentleman named John Wood who's half African-American, half white, talk about what does American identity mean today with all the divisions? And can we actually, what does it look like to be uh, a unifier. And there are absolutely things everyone can do. The, the, <laughs> honestly, so of course, you we have all sorts of tools. Our website is better-angels.org. But also, some of it's very simple. Some of it is as simple as when you approach someone that you know you're going to disagree with, like the classic is, of course, Thanksgiving dinner, but it, this happens all the time, and it will happen more and more as we get closer Especially to the election. work. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah. Walk up to them and Ask them questions about what they believe with actual curiosity. It doesn't mean that you don't get to say what you think, but ask them what they believe with actual curiosity, not not in sort of a like, how could you be so stupid as to think, right? But in a like, but what actually, what really gets you about this? And then before you fire back, um, tell them what you heard. Say, it sounds like, the, you know, um, protecting American identity is really important to you or whatever it is. Repeat back what you think you heard because then they can correct you and you can prevent all the miscommunications that usually happen. And then you can go on and say, okay, well, I have a different view. My view is this. And just simple, small interventions like that can change a conversation from a fight into something where like you probably won't end up agreeing, but you can walk away with the relationship intact. So what are the big lessons you've learned? We've kind of talked about them a little bit. You've given us some mm -hmm. advice, but if there were two or three core things that you want to share with everyone, what are those what are those things? The first and most important one is the one that has motivated me in this work forever, uh, which I learned very early actually in in as a kid, which is uh, the people on the two sides of this divide have good hearts. In fact, their hearts are not very different from one another. And so you just have to, um, and, you know, in, in a religious context, this is even easier because we are all reminded periodically that everybody's a child of God. And so if you approach someone, just try to take off your glasses of, I can't believe they believe that, and put on your glasses of, that's a person with a heart just like mine. Your grace glasses. Exactly. Your grace glasses. I love it. That's perfect. Yes, grace glasses. And I honestly think that is the single biggest thing is you've got to hold that fact in your in your mind and not let it go. Uh, other than that, I think, uh, well, the one one obvious thing, maybe it's not obvious, but social media is is almost exclusively damaging for this kind of thing. And so I have yet to see anybody come up with a protocol or a method or anything like that that makes social media conversations help with this. From what I can tell, they only hurt. 
And so, you know, <laughs> it's tempting to fire back online to somebody. But if it's a relationship you care about, pick up the phone or go see them in person. Engaging on social media will almost only uh, make things worse. So remember who they are and talk to them in person. So do you feel like you can really move the meter? I mean, this is one friend of mine talked about, he, he's a, a Messianic Jew and he does a lot mm -hmm. of work trying to unify Arab and, uh, mm. and, and Western and Jewish Christians believers. And he said one day, he used the expression, it feels like I'm spitting into a hurricane. Absolutely. You know, the, the problem, the challenge is so huge. Uh -huh. Do you feel like you're, you're picking up some momentum? And, and is there a way? I mean, again, I say, is there some way we can work together to try to mm. just mm. spread this and, and, mm -hmm. and do something to get more and more people aware, more and more people just thinking about this, totally, aware of? Totally. Well, I mean, there are bad days when I say no, but for the most part, I say, heck yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. There are a couple of reasons for that. The first is that... Uh, there is actually a bit of a an uprising of organizations like this. I, of course, am partial to Better Angels, but it's not the only one. And in fact, everywhere you go, like in Tallahassee or wherever, there's some upstart local organization that is all about bringing people together. And that's because everybody knows it's a problem and, er and lots of people care. And so I think that all we've got to do, and I mean we in a big sense collectively, is find ways to do it. But this year, so the same populace that will get really up in arms about the election is also going to experience the pain of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody, people get really tired of being at war, and they really want to uh, find a way to come back together. Yeah, there's a scripture that says we've had our fill of contempt. Exactly. And I think yes, we've all had perfect. our fill of contempt. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Call to action. We always try to get our, our guests to issue some kind of a call to action. You, oh. Again, you've kind of talked about it over and over, but is there some way you want to challenge people or that you haven't mm. mentioned already or reinforce what you said, mm. you know, in a way to challenge people? Yeah, and perhaps let's talk a little bit about uh, your own story. Yeah. Because, you know, you as we chatted before the show, you've uh, seen a lot of different sides, maybe both sides of, of uh, a complete difference of opinion about mm -hmm. something um, and sort of reconciled within yourself. Tell us a little bit about that and how you sort of came to the organization. It was through quite a transformation in your own experience mm -hmm. and own, own beliefs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like most passionate people, this comes deep from deep roots in my own life. It, uh, I grew up in a very evangelical part of Kansas, but uh, my parents were liberal atheists, and our family was honestly not treated that well by the, the Christian community. And so I went to college on the East Coast to get as far as possible away from specifically Christianity, but also conservatism. But then the thing is that things work in funny ways, right? And at college, I was exposed to, to ideas that made me uh, believe that my true home was in a particular kind of conservative world. And then in 2014, I had a religious experience that made it clear to me that God is real. And so then all of a sudden, here I was a uh, a Christian conservative in very liberal places. And so, and that has you also been challenging. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then I have had to go home and, and share with my parents, right, the things that, that I have, uh, they would think, they have thought at times that the apple has fallen very far from the tree and that that has been, that's been painful for us. And so I, but I got to tell you, it's, over and over and over again, I see the people on both sides have the same heart. They want the same things. They love the same. Frankly, <laughs> they would not agree with this, but I think my parents love God. They just call it something really different. And 
I the the um, capacity, the the possibility of grace and of real connection uh, has always been evident to me. Yeah, and what you're talking about is sort of dialogue before discussion in many ways, getting people mm-hmm. to dialogue openly without prejudice or judgment and then sort of bringing discussion in mm-hmm. later. Is there any sort of theme that you found that that sort of turns the light bulb on for people or gets the gets that sort of juice flowing to begin the conversation hmm. um, that you've seen in, in some of this, that, that, you know, you could have a very fractured room of people who are, you know, strong on one side, strong on the other, that mm-hmm. sort of opens that dialogue. Any, any sort of things that you've sort of mm-hmm. seen or heard that we, we all sort of have in common? And also, I want to add to that, once you get started, you mentioned the joy Oh, you were yeah. like, oh, the joy of this. It was, when I, it was palpable when I was talking to you on the phone. Yep. So maybe talk about we've got about a minute and a half. So. <laughs> all right. We've got a call to action and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. So first, um, yes, the joy is there every time. And that's what keeps you going because there are days when it seems like we are never going to be able to defeat this thing. But but then you have one interaction with with one pair of people and there's so much joy just in that that it's totally worth it. In terms of what helps people uh, uh, break the the spell of polarization. Honestly, the thing that I see most often is um, it's one of two things. It's a personal experience. So Greg, for example, is a police officer and so or was for a lot of his life. And so he shared in a debate about police brutality, his own experience and how, how terrified he was when he was in a situation where he might have had to use a weapon. And that really changed the blue, the we call them blues on the other side. The other thing is acknowledging that your side isn't perfect. And that there's sometimes a kernel of truth in what the other side believes about you. Um, and as for a call to action, just to, to wrap us up here, I think, I mean, of course, I would love it if you went to better-angels.org and signed up with us. But the biggest thing is find a way to remind yourself over and over again between now and November that the people on the other side are just like you. They have the same heart. They love the same things. And uh, they're good. Outstanding. You mentioned it already, better-angels.org is the website if you want to check these guys out. And I just thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I want to see more and more people, this kind of thing, go up exponentially. Mm -hmm. We also encourage people to contact us at Grayson30, either on Twitter or on the web at Grayson30.com. And share with us stories about people bridging the political divide. We Mm -hmm. want to hear about those things. Let's shine a light on how to behave and not how not to behave. There's way too much of that. Also, you're uh, challenged to visit at 627club on Twitter, SIX27club, and join the movement to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. A recording of this program can be found at the Grayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed, Sal, and April signing off from Grayson30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night. And be sure to tune into Grace.